everyone, welcome back to my channel and if you haven't been here before, my name is Ava and I'm a PhD student from UCL. So today I'm going to talk about the signs of dying from giving up or losing the will to live. I'm going to briefly give an introduction into examples of what I mean and then I'm going to go into the psychology behind the different stages of this and then some neuroscience to explain what brain regions might be involved. So first an instruction. So give up itis, which I'm now going to call GUI, was first coined during the Korean War. Prisoners of war who had developed trauma experienced empathy, gave up help and relinquished any will to live and then subsequently died from no organic physical causes. One medical officer and prisoner of war observed some symptoms in his fellow captors that he couldn't assess but could describe as a listlessness, a look, a turning from reality. Their symptoms appeared in various degrees and combinations and from this he would assess how closely or how long they had before they gave up the will to live. GUI was also carried during the Vietnam War to explain prisoners of war behaviour. Some prisoners of war were explained to be shuffling around in the camp disconnected from reality. The term was later applied retrospectively to World War II in which deaths from a fatal withdrawal were described. It was also reported in Nazi concentration camps where many prisoners died from lack of desire to live. These were individuals who were found dead in the morning when they had not experienced any physical symptoms or had any physical cause the night before. GUI has also been observed in shipwreck survivors. These were trauma victims in life rafts who were reported to give up and die from despair. One quote from an individual who survived the raft said that there were seven of them, but the third officer died after two hours. He was very despondent during the end and simply lay down and passed away. Similarly, a medical officer who survived an aircraft crash and observed someone dying from something when there was no physical cause. This individual died five hours before the rescue. Two factors stand out in the cases of GUI. Firstly, there appears to be no identifiable organic cause of death and therefore death is psychogenic. And this was seen by soldiers in World War II who were then later dying in the hospital when they simply had a minor wound that would not cause them to die. The key psychological factor in GUI appears to be a reactive syndrome following psychological trauma that includes severe withdrawal from the environment. For example, some individuals who were introduced into the concentration camps died a few hours after arriving. And this was due to the psychological shock they experienced when they first arrived and their subsequent lack of desire to survive. An example of numerous accounts of GUI suggests that this is a gradual regression from adaptive goal-directed normal behaviour through demotivation and diminished executive function described variously as slipping away or a passive suicide. Therefore, Give up itis or GUI could be described as a quantitative regression from a normal adaptive goal-directed behaviour passing through a clinical spectrum from withdrawal, apathy and psychic akinesia to psychogenic death. It's hypothesised that this behaviour occurs through frontal subcortical circuits in the brain, particularly between the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex and anterior cingulate circuits, therefore is affected by dopamine dysregulation, which is a neurotransmitter involved in reward and goal-directed behaviours. So now let's describe the different stages of GUI. So firstly, here is a diagram that first describes normal behaviour as routine, adaptive and motivated goal-directed behaviour, where an individual is able to think ahead and plan. 
The first stage of GUI is withdrawal and loss of initiative. This is most frequently reported following a psychological trauma. The first symptom is psychological withdrawal and docile behaviour with diminished reflection and initiative. Victims have shown a marked withdrawal from their environment, accompanied by listlessness and indifference. This individual is intrinsically capable of carrying out normal behaviours, but these are slower in initiative and shorter in duration. There is a dependency on others to structure activities, and when spoken to, these people do react appropriately and rationally. It has been suggested that withdrawal from a traumatic situation is seen as a coping mechanism, although without any disintegration of personality or the development of psychosis. The victim is aware of his or her surroundings, and what is going on by their own responses are sharply inhibited and suppressed. Such inhibition can be seen as a form of protection, which was evident in the Korean camps, where the most common initial response was the physical and emotional withdrawal from the whole environment, coupled with an attitude of watching and waiting rather than hope and planning. However, if left unchecked, this detachment can progress to a reactive syndrome, which includes apathy and more extreme withdrawal. And now stage two, exposure to extreme trauma, for example, survival of atomic bombing, concentration camps and being a prisoner of war has been reported to result in an apathetic syndrome. One researcher noticed that in the concentration camps, after only a few days, some of the prisoners passed from the first stage to the second, in which he achieved a kind of emotional depth for example, apathy. An apathy reaction was widely observed, even extending to profound apathy syndrome. One prisoner quoted saying, they remember waking up in the morning and being unable to get up. They weren't tired, but they were just apathetic and every decision required an effort of all proportional circumstances. People in stage two of GUI are described as being disheveled, dirty and unshaven, even if water is plentiful and there is a razor at hand. Therefore, the instinct of cleanliness had disappeared. Apathy can be described as a quantitative reduction in voluntary, self-generated, and purposeful goal-directed behaviour. Stage 3 of GUI is a severe lack of motivation, coupled with a dampening of emotional reactions, continued lack of initiative, an inability to make decisions, and a lack of speech output. Certain groups of captives have been found to remain apathetic, who ceased caring, washing, and eating, who withdrawed further into themselves, simply laying down and curled up. This person may still be motivated by external stimuli, which can range from persuasive nurturing through reasoning, antagonism, and even physical assault. Therefore, it's dependent on others to initiate action. But if motivated externally, then actions can be performed correctly. An interesting characteristic of this stage is that of an empty mind or consciousness devoid of content. The lack of spontaneous mental activity and inability to concentrate was referred to in the concentration camps as mental incapacitation. Therefore, this represents both motive and cognitive inertia. Stage four is characterized by further reductions in motivation, as well as a diminution of executive function. Although consciousness and general cognitive function remain, as does language ability, but not initiation. The transition from stage three to stage four is illustrated in the following account from a prisoner of war in Vietnam. I stopped eating regularly, stopped bathing, and even stopped caring. I refused to climb off the bed, but would sit in an almost catatonic state, sitting for hours, days at a time. In my adult mind, this seemed like a comforting distraction. I simply didn't care anymore, otherwise dying inwardly. They behaved as if they were not thinking, speaking, or were unable to respond. This stage is 
is clinically compared to individuals with akinesia, in which patients present with a wakeful state of profound apathy, indifferent to pain, thirst or hunger, and absence of motor or psychic initiative, manifested by a lack of spontaneous movement, and a general failure to respond to questions or commands, and if they do respond, then they believe that their mind is empty and their response is emotionless. And the fifth stage, psychogenic death. This is the most speculative phase of the syndrome and can be considered a pre-stage to psychogenic death marking the disintegration of an autonomous person. One researcher illustrated this stage by describing it as beginning with a prisoner, refusing one morning to get dressed or wash or to go out on the parade ground. No entreaties, blows or threats had any effect on this individual's decision. He just lay there hardly moving, regardless of the hygiene of that individual where nothing would bother them anymore. And then the prisoner would take out a cigarette and start smoking. And at that moment, this individual knew that the prisoner would die in the next 48 hours. And this was because a person who smoked their own cigarette was significant, as cigarettes were used as a type of currency, where one cigarette equaled a bowl of soup. The only exception was for those who had lost the will to live and wanted to enjoy their last days. And this individual said, therefore, when a comrade smoked his own cigarettes, we knew he had lost the will to live and this would never be able to come back. The pre-stage commonly takes three to four days to complete and the process from psychic akinesia to psychogenic death follows an intuitively natural path but marked shortly before death as a brief amount of motivation, executive function and a degree of hedonia, for, for example, by victims enjoying their last cigarette. It appears that during this moment, the empty mind or cognitive inertia associated with stage four of the syndrome has briefly subsided and is replaced with auto-activated thought, which results in goal-directed behaviour. However, the paradox is that some goal-directed behaviour appears to be itself relinquishing of life. So now we've gone through the stages, let's briefly talk about the different brain circuits that might be involved in this syndrome. The progressive demotivation of individuals with this syndrome suggests that circuits such as frontal subcortical dysfunction occurs. Frontal subcortical circuits in the brain allows the individual to interact adaptively with his or her environment. Many neuropsychiatric disorders may result from this dysfunction. There are five parallel circuits that link specific areas to the frontal cortex to the basal ganglia with the final circuits returning to the frontal cortex via the thalamus. These comprise a motor circuit, ocular motor circuit, dorsolateral prefrontal circuits, orbital frontal circuit and anterior cingulate. Each is an effective mechanism that allows the individual to interact with their environment, supporting circuit-specific behavior. The motor and ocular motor circuit supports motor function. The dorsolateral prefrontal circuit supports executive functions such as cognitive skills and memory and being able to hold different information in mind at the same time or use this information to do complex tasks. The anterior cingulate circuit that supports motivation and orbitofrontal circuit that supports social behavior. Impairment in individual circuits evolves into behavior syndromes, executive function deficits, demotivation and apathy, disinhibition, irritability, tactlessness, OCD and personality change. The orbitofrontal circuit can be excluded when considering GUI as the individual does not show OCD, personality change or disinhibition. This individual is seen as the same person before or during the onset of GUI. It's been suggested that failure to initiate goal-directed behavior during these stages may be due to failure of the basal ganglia to activate frontal lobe structures when behavior depends upon internalized guidance. Therefore, the inability to establish any goal or to make a plan to support that goal, for example, having hope, which are activities associated with the frontal lobe. The most likely neurotransmitter underpinning this syndrome is dopamine, which its principal role is in motivation and modulating activity of the 
anterior cingulates and frontal subcortical regions related to willed actions. Dopamine serves to determine reaction to changes, expected or unexpected, from the external environment. People with reduced dopamine tend to show apathy, having an impairment in routine actions such as walking, which is normally slowed, and observed as a shuffling gait. The normal functioning of dopamine can be disrupted in both severe and chronic trauma. It's been suggested that an initial increase in dopamine release in the prefrontal cortex arouses response that modulates active coping behaviour for dangerous situations such as escape or fight, with dopamine decreasing to normal levels after the exposure to the trauma has occurred. However, if the stress becomes chronic or is perceived as inescapable or uncontrollable, then increased dopamine release activated in the medial dorsolateral prefrontal cortex this inhibits dopamine release in the nucleus accumbens to below basal levels, with a new increase of dopamine outflow occurring only when the stressor is removed. The increase or decrease of dopamine levels during this time reflect different coping styles, with high levels of dopamine in the nucleus accumbens resulting in active coping strategies, or reduced dopamine being an inhibition of responses as a coping mechanism. The active problem-focused approach, which targets the source of stress, is used when the stress can't be controlled or avoided. The passive emotion-focused approach targets emotional arousal that sustains the stress response is employed when the stress is uncontrollable or inescapable. Anyway, I hope this gave you a bit of an understanding into what GUI or give up itis is in relation to individuals who have died of a psychogenic death after experiencing an extreme or chronic trauma. I hope you understand specifically what brain circuits are involved, how dopamine might play a role, as well as different coping strategies and why individuals might elicit specific coping strategies after a type of trauma. If you have any ideas of future videos or have any questions about what I spoke about, then please comment below. And if you like this video, then please like and subscribe. Have a good day.